I invite you to take out your Bibles and turn uh, to uh, the book of Ecclesiastes this morning. If you're using the Pew Bible, it's page 553, page 553 in the Red Pew Bible in front of you. So we're starting our study of the book of Ecclesiastes. It's been a while since we've been in, uh, in the Old Testament, and I'm excited to get back to a book of the Old Testament. Um, and we haven't studied, I, don't, I can't remember the last time we studied a wisdom book or a book of wisdom literature, but Ecclesiastes falls into that category in the Old Testament. It's a, it's a book about wisdom. Uh, and in this book, we ask, or some questions are asked for us, and some of those questions are even answered, and they are the really big questions of life. I remember in uh, my introduction to philosophy class in college, uh, basically they teach you that philosophy began with Socrates around 400 BC, um, and and even uh, we don't even have anything from Socrates that he actually wrote, uh, because his student Plato apparently copied the things that he wrote, but we don't know if it was Socrates or Plato that said the things that were said in that. Uh, but that's where the secular world will tell you that real philosophy started. I, I wish that they would read their Bibles, however, because what you'll see in the book of Ecclesiastes is all of the same issues that are raised by Socrates and Plato are dealt with some 600 years before they were even born. And in this book, King Solomon is going to ask the big questions and is going to give us the answers to those big questions. So, and it's not just the question of, you know, Let's think of the big, the really big questions. What is the meaning of life? But it's more than that. What is the meaning of my life? And that's the question that Solomon is asking, and those are the questions that he's going to deal with. In 2002, Rick Warren came out with one of the most popular Christian books that has ever been written, The Purpose Driven Life. I, most of you probably have a copy of it in your home. Maybe even you, you might even have two or three copies of it in your home. It's sold over 32 million bo- uh, copies. That's an amazing number uh, of books to, to sell. But in truth, Rick Warren could have just said, if you want to know what the purpose of your life is meant to be, go and read the book of Ecclesiastes, because it was the original purpose-driven life. And... The book of Ecclesiastes has sold far more copies than the purpose-driven life ever will. God gives us purpose and meaning. He reminds us of what our purpose and meaning is in this book. So let's read this. I'm going to read all of the first chapter for us, and then we'll dive in. And we'll actually ask for the Lord to help us in understanding his word. So let me read for us Ecclesiastes 1, uh, the entire first chapter. This is God's good and kind word to you this morning. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind, and on its circuits the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. 
All things are full of weariness. A man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It is already, it has been already in the ages before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be, there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and striving after wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive this also is but striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord stands forever. Now let's pray and ask for the Lord to help us understanding his word. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for giving us this word today. And Father, we pray that as we have read these things, that you would help us to see them uh, and understand them as you intend, and that our hearts would not be distracted by the many things uh, in this world or in our own hearts, but would, uh, would clearly see Jesus Christ even in a passage like this. Lord, I pray that as we begin this study of the book of Ecclesiastes and as we learn from the wisdom of Solomon, uh, that we would see your wisdom in this, teaching us how to live lives that are good and godly for your sake and not our own. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. So this morning in this passage, I want to look at it in three ways. In verses 1 through 3, King Solomon tells us that life is fleeting. Life is fleeting. And then in verses 3 through 7 and 12 through 18, he tells us that life is confusing. And then finally, in verses 8 through 11, he tells us that life is exhausting. So those three things, life is fleeting, confusing, and exhausting. So let's begin, first of all, with life is fleeting. Now, uh, let's begin by just saying, okay, who is the preacher? He calls himself the preacher. The word preacher that's interpreted or translated here uh, it really just means convener, the one who convenes the assembly. And essentially what he's saying is that as the king, he has the right to speak to the entire assembly of God's people. And we're told that he's the son of David and the king uh, in Jerusalem. We're told elsewhere or later in the book of Ecclesiastes that, that um, he is over the united monarchy or his united kingdom that he's over both Israel and Judah, and there's only one person that fits that criteria. It's obviously King Solomon. And we also know that Solomon, at one point in his life, um, he prayed and asked the Lord to give him wisdom, and the Lord blessed him with more wisdom than any man that has ever lived uh, because he did that uh, in, in uh, trusting in the Lord. He didn't ask for the Lord to slaughter his enemies or to give him wealth or anything like that, and the Lord gave him wisdom. And so it's an appropriate thing for the king of wisdom to write down for us these uh, words of wisdom. And he's going to tell us about the meaningful life. He's going to tell us about 
the things that are meaningful in this life and how we should strive after a meaningful life. Now, I need to say that he's going to do that, and I promise you he will do that. But in this first chapter, as I read through that, you probably had the sense that there was nothing uh, fun or exciting in this passage over and over. It's stuff that is depressing and hard to hear. But his point in doing this is to set up for us the problem of life. And so this king, the king of wisdom sets up for us the major issues that we have in life. And the first thing he says is that you need to know is that life is fleeting. And he says it in verse 2. Now my translation says vanity of vanities. That's the old King James translation. And some translations have followed it in that way, vanity of vanities. If you have the new international version, it says meaningless, meaningless. Now, every commentator that you read on the book of Ecclesiastes will tell you something like this. They'll begin and they'll say, there's a lot of confusion about the meaning of the book of Ecclesiastes. And no one has understood it until now. And what every commentator will tell you is that they are the first ones to really understand the book of Ecclesiastes. And it has to do with this first word. Now, what I find interesting is, in all the commentaries that I've read, all of them say they are the first ones that have understood it, and then they all say the exact same thing, um, which tells me they haven't read other commentaries or they're just puffing themselves up. So, um, But they begin and they say, look, you need to understand the meaning of this first word that's used. Vanity really isn't a great translation of that word. Because vanity has changed its meaning over time, and we use it to mean... Uh, talk about someone who is vain, and that that made me think about it this way, um, that, uh, you know, the old Carol King song, You're So Vain, and I thought, you're so vain, you probably think this sermon is about you, okay? Something like that, but that's not really the meaning of this uh, this word. It's not vanity. What the, the word is hebel, hebel. That's the Hebrew word uh, that's translated to vanity in my translation, hebel. Everybody say it real quick, hebel. Hebel. Now take your hand and say it. Put your hand in front of your mouth and say it. Hebel. What happens? Breath comes out. You feel the breath that comes out. The meaning of this word is simply breath. And so you can read it this way. Breath of breath, says the preacher. Breath of breath. All is breath. Better way to understand it maybe is vapor. Vapor of vapor, says the preacher. Vapor of vapor, all is vapor. And the purpose of starting this way with this word hebel is to tell you that life is fleeting. Life is like a vapor. You can try to reach out and grab a gas, but you can't grab it. You can't hold on to it. And if you can hold on to it, you can't hold on to it very long. Because life is fleeting and it goes away quickly. It's transient. It's short. And you understand this if you've lived life for any amount of time that life goes by very quickly. How vaporous is this life? How transient is it? How much like breath is it? Well, so much so that he says it five times in actually eight words in verse 2. And anytime you see that kind of repetition in the Bible, that's the main point that he wants to get across to you. Life is vaporous. Life is like a breath. It's here and then gone. 
you'll hear this advice from older folks. Older folks will say to younger folks, enjoy life while you can because it goes by really fast. It goes by really fast. Enjoy it while you can. And, and I'm beginning to understand that more and more. As I'm 41 years old, and it seems like just yesterday I was turning 41, and now in about a month I'll be 42, and life is just speeding up, and it's going, and, and I can't hold on to it, and it keeps on going faster and faster and faster. So there are some illustrations of, the, of the, the vaporousness of life or the breath of life. Have you ever seen children open their presents on Christmas morning and be so excited. And you as a parent get the joy of seeing them excited over their presents. And then how long does that excitement last? An hour, two hours, three hours, and then they're on to something else. And it's not just a problem for children. Everything about us, everything in our lives is fleeting. You can get great wealth. And then how long does that great wealth last? Not very long. What about the fame that you've had or that you can have or that some folks can have in their life? How long does fame last? What about respect? How long does, do people respect others in this life? Well, the reality is, is that all that stuff, the wealth, the fame, the respect, anything that you can gain is gone whenever you're gone. Life is fleeting. So is there any meaning in this life? Well, Solomon and God say, yes, there is meaning in, in this life. Absolutely. But the key is, you have to hold on to what lasts. You have to hold on to what is eternal. Now, he hasn't told us what is eternal yet, but that's the answer. Yes, there is meaning, but you can't hold on to the things that are vaporous in this life. You have to hold on to what is eternal. So that's the first thing. Life is fleeting. Now, secondly... Solomon says life is confusing. Life is confusing. And he chose this by, by mentioning three things that don't make sense to Solomon. Now remember, he is the wisest man that has ever lived. And, and he applies himself to understanding these things. And in 3 through 7, he tells us three basic things that he doesn't understand. He says one generation comes and then the next one comes and, and everything is in continual flux. Nothing stays the same. The earth remains. The earth is still here, but from one generation to the next, everything is changing and in flux. That's the first thing he doesn't understand. Generation after generation after generation after generation, everything changes, but the earth remains. That's another way of saying everything changes, but everything stays the same. He doesn't understand that. But secondly, he doesn't understand about the sun. He says... The sun rises and the sun goes down. It hastens to the place where it rises. And he says there's this continual cycle of life that happens. The sun comes up and the sun goes down. And the sun comes up and the sun goes down over and over and over again. And there's nothing that can be done to stop the continual cycles of life. And then the third thing he says is, well, then he goes on and he talks about the wind blowing to the south and around to the north and all that. It's essentially the same thing. The wind that blows, it's, it's there and then it's not there and then it's there again. It just goes on and on and on. And then the last thing he says in verse 7, all streams run into the sea, but the sea is not full. I mean, think about that. If you have a stream or a creek in your, in your, uh, on your land and you can watch it over and over and over and it just goes and goes and goes and then it, and then it runs into the sea ultimately and then it, 
The sea is never full, and then that stream just keeps on going and going and going, and there's this endless cycle of, of rain that flows, and then the streams that get large, and then they run into the sea, and then all the cycle starts over again. And Solomon didn't understand things like uh, the cycle of water and, and evaporation and all of that sort of stuff. We understand it. We understand how it works, but we don't understand why those things work the way that they do. Life is very confusing because of that, and all of it keeps on going on and on and on, and it never, ever stops. And so Solomon says in verses 12 through 18, you know, I tried really hard to understand these things, and so what did he do? Well, he increased in knowledge. He studied the greatest scientist of his day. And he increased his knowledge in order to increase his wisdom. And he studied and studied and studied. And he studied more and more and more. And you know what happened? He didn't understand anything better than when he first started studying. Students, pay attention to this. Uh, I would say that Ecclesiastes is the student's handbook. You need to understand this. You can grow in your knowledge more and more and more and still not understand the way that the world works. There are some people that are so smart and have so much knowledge that they can't do anything for themselves because they've gained all of this knowledge. And essentially, that's one of the things that's so confusing to Solomon, that he can apply himself to working really hard to understanding things, and then he still doesn't understand it. With all the wisdom in the world, what happens? There's more confusion. Verse 18, for in much wisdom is much vexation. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. That's the end of knowledge. That's because the world is confusing. For all those with great philosophical understanding, for all of those that have great knowledge in the sciences, you know what's the reality? They're no better off than any, anybody else. So what do we make of all this? Is there any application for us? Well, I think that there is actually. Um, and it's something that I'm learning more and more. It's something I first heard a few years ago from an author named Rosaria Butterfield. Uh, she was struck by this in her conversion uh, out of her uh, atheistic lifestyle. She heard John 7, 17, and a preacher preach on John 7, 17, uh, where Jesus says that, um, that understanding follows obedience. And here's the point in saying that. We tend to live our lives as if Having understanding will lead to obedience. That the more we understand, the more we know, the more wisdom we have, the more obedient we will be. Uh, that's the theory that's behind NBC's The More You Know ad campaign. They say if you know something, that will lead to better behavior. So if you know that drugs will scramble your brain, then you will avoid drugs. Well, that's not true. And actually, what the Bible teaches is the complete opposite. And you need to understand this. You need to hear this. That you will only understand the things of the world and how the world works after you are obedient. God says, be obedient to me first, and then I will give you understanding. That's the way the world works. Be obedient first. And then you will get understanding. As Christians, as God's people, we should not wait for understanding or wisdom in order to be obedient. Because, as Solomon says here, it doesn't matter how much wisdom you have, the world will not make any more sense. And you will not have any desire to be any more obedient. Be obedient first. And then you will get understanding. And it's those that are obedient that are happier in life. 
It's the husband that loves his wife. These are a few of the illustrations that I thought of. It's the husband that loves his wife the way that Christ loves the church, who is obedient to that, who is happy in his marriage. It's the wife that is submissive to her husband, who is happy because she's obedient and she's not waiting for anything else to be obedient. She's happy because she learns what it means to be happy in the midst of being submissive. It's the children that are obedient to their parents who get understanding of, and the joy of being obedient in and of itself because they're obedient first. You don't, you don't reverse the two. You don't say, well, why should I be, why should I love my wife the way that Christ loved this church? Tell me why. No, do it. And then you'll understand why. So that's, I think, the application to us. Life is confusing. Don't wait to be obedient. Be obedient first. Now, the third thing we see here uh, is that life is exhausting. Life is exhausting. Life is fleeting. Life is confusing. Life is exhausting. Uh, We live in the 24-hour news cycle. Uh, We live with cable news and TVs that can stay on for 24 hours at a time. We never have to turn them off. And that news can just stay on and over and over and over and just repeat over and over and over for 24 hours. And the news channels and the news anchors, they'll, they'll repeat these things and they'll have one topic that they talk about for 24 hours until they get bored with that. And then something else happens and they'll just keep it up and they'll keep on talking without stopping. And that is exhausting, isn't it? It's exhausting waking up in the morning to find out the new thing that you're supposed to be angry about because something else happened while you were asleep and everyone else is angry and you have to be angry. It's just exhausting to be angry all the time. But guess what? It never stops. You never get, you never get are allowed to settle on one thing that you can be angry about. You've got to continually be angry, and that's exhausting. Uh, you know, I... I I'm reminded of the exhaustiveness of life. And I, I think I remember first learning about how exhausting life is when I was about eight years old. In eight years old, something happened to all of the boys in my class where they immediately all wanted and got high-top sneakers. Now, before I was eight years old, I didn't know high-tops existed, okay? All I knew was that there were low-tops or there were these things that I, were called shoes that I was supposed to put in my feet And then all of a sudden, when I turned eight, and everyone else around me, they had not just shoes, but high tops. And I went home, and for three months, I bothered my mom. I said, I need high tops, I need high tops, I need high tops. And that Christmas, you know what I got? I got high tops. I opened them, and I was so excited about them, and I put them on, and I wore those high tops out. And I went back to school, and do you know what I found out? It wasn't high tops that I needed. It was Air Jordans that I needed. It was not just that I had to have high tops. I had to have a specific kind of high top. So you know what I did? Months. Mom, I need these Air Jordans. I need Air Jordans. I need Air Jordans. I need Air Jordans. And eventually, you know what happened? I got Air Jordans. Over the summer, Mom got me Air Jordans. And I went back to school. And you know what happened? There was a new Air Jordan sneaker that came out. And I had the wrong one. And I thought, well, I'm never going to catch up. And that is life. It's the same way that we experience things like the iPhone, right? 2008 or so, the iPhone, or 2007, the iPhone came out. And it was going to change your life and revolutionize your life. The smartphone was going to be the thing that you needed. And so everyone went out and they bought these smartphones. 
And how much smarter are people today because they have the smartphone? We're actually dumber because we have the smartphone, right? Everyone is dumber because we have the smartphone. But it's not just that you need a smartphone. You need the latest version of the smartphone in order for it to work exactly the way that Apple or Samsung wants it to work with all of their software and all of that sort of stuff. And not only that, you have to get this app and that app and this app, and they're constantly coming out with more apps and more things for you to get. And then there's more stuff that you have to get in order to make sure your iPhone works the way that it's supposed to. You have to have this charger and that charger. And there's all of these things that you have to have in order to make it all work, and it's all exhausting because you can never catch up with the things of the world. That's the way that life is. All the new stuff. Everything that comes out, it's, it's really nothing more than just an updated version of the old technology. It doesn't make your life any better. And it's exhausting, not to mention the getting up and the going to bed every single day, the going to work, the dealing with all of the things of life. It is all exhausting. Verse 8, all things are full of weariness. A man cannot even utter it. He can't even get to the end of understanding all of the things that are exhausting in life. And that's the way it's going to be. You know, the new boss is the same as the old boss. And the who were right whenever they wrote that. And if you aren't exhausted yet, young people especially, if you're not exhausted yet, you're going to be. I promise you, because life is exhausting. All right. So you're going, oh great, thanks for this wonderful sermon, preacher. I didn't need to come to, to church today to find out that life was fleeting and confusing and exhausting. I know that already. That's what life is, yes. And what Solomon wants to show us is that, just to remind us that life is full of problems. It's full of troubles. It's full of seemingly meaninglessness and vaporous stuff. And it goes on and on and on. And it's important to know that that's what life is like under the sun. Uh, this is a phrase that's repeated more than 40 times in this, in this book, under the sun. And he says in here, it is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. But is there any hope in this life? Is there anything more than just living under the sun? And the point of Ecclesiastes is this, yes. Because you don't just have to live under the sun. Instead, you can live for the sun. You don't just live under the sun, under the heat and the exhaustion of the sun, but you can live for the sun, Jesus Christ. And that's the point. Everything in life is fleeting. Everything goes away. Everything in life is vaporous and is confusing and exhausting. Unless you grab hold to and cling to the eternal Son of God, Jesus Christ. And in Jesus, everything makes sense. Everything is glorious. Everything is wonderful. And I hope we see that in this book, that, that Solomon is driving the train right back to Jesus. He's saying, yeah, life is hard, life is difficult, life is all of these things. But if you cling to Jesus, life has purpose. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us uh, this passage today. I pray that we would dwell on these things and think on these things, that our, our minds would, would go to these things and think about the eternal glory of Jesus Christ and that you would help us cling to him over everything else in this world. As we go through this book, I pray that we would be encouraged and not depressed, that we would see your glory more and more as we work our way through it. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.